0: Hey, thanks for deciding to engage with us at Into One today. Are you ready to hear episode three in our message series, When the Devil Knocks? Now, remember, we are not here to focus on the devil, all right? We are here to learn about and to understand our enemy so that we might be more effective in our ongoing daily spiritual battle, our spiritual living. What you see with your eyes is not all there is. I mean, there is a physical world, and there's also a very real spiritual world. We looked at a verse a couple of weeks ago um, now about the Apostle Paul, and he said that, that our battle is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood, but we're in a spiritual battle against the forces of darkness. We have a very real enemy, and he's called Satan, He's called Lucifer, he's called the Prince of Darkness, he's called the Evil One, the Father of Lies, the Destroyer, the Accuser, the Deceiver, many other names. And his mission is to come against the people of God, and that's why Peter, the Apostle Peter, says in 1 Peter 5.8, stay alert. You know, in other words, always be on your guard. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Just as we get started today, I, uh, I would just want to point out just a quick public service announcement, if you were, If you will, be aware: the devil is compared to an animal within the cat family. All right, I'm just saying, from the cat family, from the evil cat family. Now, according to Jesus, he came on a mission. He, Jesus came to bring life and to give life generously and more abundantly. And Jesus also said, the evil one, that Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And what Satan wants to do is to steal your joy. He wants to kill your peace. He wants to destroy your contentment. He will attack every single day. He's going to attack your finances. He'll attack your friendships. He'll attack your body. He'll attack your marriage. He'll attack your spiritual life. He's on the attack. He's trying to rob people of the blessings that God wants to bring into their lives. And so this message series, we've been looking at some of the metaphors, if you will, some of the images of Satan and trying to understand his strategies so that we can better defeat his plans against us. Okay, so episode one, if you can remember, episode one, we looked at the deceiver. Who is Satan? He is the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. Last episode, we looked at the accuser. Who is Satan? He is the accuser who targets your heart with accusations. This episode will be one that's, well, very, very important and maybe even a little bit difficult or challenging to hear. But Satan is also the destroyer who attacks or targets your will with pride. He is the destroyer who targets your will with pride. And I used to think that the devil would attack you when you're down when you're weak, and when you're vulnerable, and He will. But, I've also learned that He loves to attack you when you're strong, when things are going well. And some of you right now, you may be in a better season of life, things just seem to be going well for you, and you think, Well, you know what, things are good, so I don't have that much to worry about right now. And that might just be the time when you're the most vulnerable. Because when you're the least aware, that's when you're the most vulnerable. So when you're least on alert, realizing that your enemy may be attacking, well, that's when he often comes in. Comes in during that time. And not only will he kick you when you're down, but he'll attack you when things are going well. So today, I'm going to tell you a story from the Old Testament. And many of you, many of you will not be familiar with it. And so that just makes today a double whammy for you. It's about a time when Satan initiated an attack, a very strategic attack actually against King David. He didn't attack David when he was discouraged, but instead he attacked at the height of David's power, at the height of David's popularity. So David was just an ordinary little shepherd boy, that's how the story starts, tending sheep and making music all off by himself. So it's just David out there alone. David, the sheep, and his magic pan flew. David was out with his sheep when his people were at war against another army called the Philistines. The Philistines had a not-so-secret weapon. It's kind of hard to keep the weapon a secret because he was a giant. And giants tend to stand out. And that was true about Goliath as well. So David came up to the front, right up to the front lines doing a delivery. And he came there and he realized, hey, it seems like everyone is afraid of this guy. And they say, yeah, he's a giant. And David says, but God's on our side. Do you realize what we have on our side? And this story ties in really nicely with episode two of our YouTube series, Dance of War. You should go and subscribe and check that out sometime. And then you can see how all these pieces fit together. So David says, you know what, I'll take this guy on. And this little boy ended up taking down the enemy giant, the secret weapon, Goliath. And then suddenly overnight, he's kind of thrust into this publicity thing. And he goes viral on Israelite social media. Who is this guy? Where did it come from? Give us his backstory. And then he's anointed to be the new king of Israel. And boom, wow, Things are happening quickly. He rises to national fame. And at the height of his power, he's a war hero. When David goes out with his mighty men, they are coming home with victory. He was so popular. Just imagine this, okay? The women, they would write songs about David. And then they would gather in the streets to sing these songs. Now, my wife, Cheryl, she has a beautiful singing voice. But she has yet to write a song about my power, strength, and glory. I mean, who knows, though? Maybe one day, maybe one day I'll come home and she'll be waiting there with her song in hand, declaring her love, her honor, her respect for my godliness, my power, my strength, and anything else that turns her on. She can sing about it. You think it'll happen? Probably not, you know, but you can dream, right? You can dream, and so they're singing about this guy, David. And I mean, he's at the height of the game, and, and he stumbles, not when he's weak or vulnerable, but he stumbles because of his pride. Now, if I were to take a camera out onto the streets and, and it's, take it out and start interviewing people, asking one question, I'd say, what, what do you think was David's greatest sin? What, what, what do you think that those people would say? I bet a whole lot of people would say, well, it seems... What I've heard the most about, his greatest sin, was probably adultery with Bathsheba. Because that's, you know, that's kind of what he's known for, right? And maybe someone else who's thinking just a little bit deeper, they might recognize the power imbalance between David and Bathsheba. And they might say that it was David's rape of Bathsheba. Why do do we just assume that she was a willing participant? Then, you know, somebody else might think about it and they'd say, well, you know what, those things are bad for sure, but the cover-up? is an even bigger deal because David engineered the murder of Bathsheba's husband Uriah Mm -hmm. but then all of us perhaps if we could just take a step back we could actually find a root sin a sin that led to adultery or rape a sin that eventually led to murder probably his biggest struggle along with so many of us no doubt including me we battle with the sin, the root sin of pride. Think about it this. Because of David's adultery or rape, four people died indirectly. And if you know the story, the little baby died, Amnon died, Absalom died, and of course he had Uriah killed. Four people died. That's terrible. But because of David's sin of pride, and this is what we're going to look at today, because of his sin of pride, watch this, Seventy thousand people were killed and all because of the filthy horrendous slow burning sin of pride and that's where our enemy often attacks us so write it down remember this series is running reconnaissance on our enemy's tricks and tactics know your enemy not just when you're weak but when you're proud so first chronicles 21 1 tells us exactly what Satan did how he attacked and this is like us having access to security cam footage Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Now, just a quick reminder. At the start of this year, we were in a series called The Upside Down. And in that series, we did some learning about covenants, old ones and new ones. And if you can't quite hit the recall button in your mind, then go back and search up The New Covenant. All right? It was episode 8 in the Upside Down series, and you can find it on our YouTube channel, or in our sermon archive at intoone.ca. And what you will remember or learn is that the Old Testament means the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant was not between God and individuals, but it was between God and a nation. So God dealt with the whole nation as one whole when it came to matters of blessings and when it came to matters of punishments. That's what happened when they decided that they wanted a king other than God himself. The covenant is based on the people following God's laws. And whenever they do, God will bless them and God will fight for them. And so God deals with the nation as a whole and their representative is the king. That, I hope, will help you with your understanding of what I'm about to tell you next. So what did Satan do? Satan came at David, when he was confident, when he was strong, when he was victorious, and he incited David to take a census of Israel. David's at the top of his game, right? David's favorite song on Spotify is, We are the champions, my friends, and we'll keep on fighting to the end. And he's winning his battles. Everywhere he goes, he's winning. And Satan comes up and he says, David, whoa, you're pretty powerful, aren't you? Man, you're pretty amazing. You conquered kingdoms, and now you have all these people under your command. David, you should total them up. Let's just see how powerful you really are. We can't just guess about your domination and your strength. David, no, come on. Let's take a census to count up those you rule in your kingdom. David, you're strong. You're mighty. You're worthy of honor. Just how worthy are you, David? We'll count up the people. Let's see how incredible you really are. Now, you might want to just step back here and look at this thing and say, hey, was it really a, a wrong to take a sentence? Come on, come on. What's the big deal, right? And the answer was, well, it's not wrong to take a census. What's wrong was the motive behind the census. Because motives matter to God, and they matter a lot to God. In their covenant arrangement, who fights for Israel? Yeah, God fights for Israel. So when they are living as they should be living and following God's commands as they should be following, then God gives them victory. He fights for them. Right? So taking a census isn't a bad thing. Moses, Moses actually took a census, okay? But the motive behind Moses' census was entirely different. What Moses would do is he would take every man over the age of 20 and give them a half a shekel. That was known as atonement money or ransom money. And what he, was doing, what he was saying was, this represents honor to God. I want to count up and tally a total amount of those that God has rescued and redeemed from bondage. This represents giving glory to God because we're seeing just how many people God has set free. So with Moses, the census's goal was to give honor to God, but with David, the goal was to bring honor to himself. This was disgusting in the eyes of God. Disgusting because it really um, is David trying to take credit for God's actions on behalf of the people of Israel. The, the, The king is saying that he is the reason for the battle victories. And he's forgetting all about the covenant relationship that he and his people are in with God. The census is measuring up David's strength and then viewing it not as God's grace, God's strength and God's goodness. He's leading the people away from God, weakening their trust in God and breaking the covenant. And since he represents the nation, then the nation has broken the covenant. Satan loves to attack you when you're full of pride. When you're full of pride, it's like you can't even see it. So know your enemy and know yourself. You see, my only real role is to point people to Jesus, right? Eyes up. That's what I'm trying to do, always towards Jesus. But when I'm weak and vulnerable and full of sin, suddenly I want the glory, just like David did. So let me tell you what I've done, right? Let me tell you about my church. And, and, And the story, the story really becomes laughable so quickly when you say it out loud, but it can live in your head with seemingly no incongruence. So let me tell you about my building that I was given. Let me me tell you about the people that I counted up. And it's the very same thing, and it's disgusting to God, and it's heartbreaking to me. But that it's still an issue that pops up in my lifetime and again. It doesn't just stop, okay? It repeats. I reject it once, but I know that I will have to reject it again and again. And again, and it's tempting. This is David's issue, and, and others could see it too. This is what's so challenging about it. Some of you right now are going, oh, you know what? I'm so glad that my husband's hearing this message. He needs it so much, right? I hope you just preach it, Graham. Come on, Graham, preach it. Get him. Smack him in the middle of the eyes, that prideful guy. All right, listen, lady, this may be for you too, Or vice versa, okay? I'm not picking on a gender. I'm pointing out a universal human weakness. And it's so difficult to see in the mirror. But it's easy to see in other people. So difficult to see in ourselves. And Joab was a guy very loyal to David. He was the commander of the troops. And he saw it very clearly in David. And we see this 1 Chronicles 21, verse 6. Joab didn't include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering. So in other words, he goes, I'm counting, but I'm leaving these two tribes out. Why? Because the king's command was repulsive to him. I'm going to honor God and and these people, and I'm going to make an inaccurate count. And then verse 7, this command was also evil in the sight of God. So God punished Israel. And if you read through it, it's a heartbreaking story of 70,000 people ended up dying as a direct result of David's sin of pride. So which was worse? Adultery, rape, murder, pride. They all have devastating consequences. Well, adultery and or rape are pretty bad, but pride probably caused them both. If the king, I'm the king of Israel, and I see that girl, right? And she looked good, and I want some of that, and I deserve it because I'm king, right? When David committed that sin, Here's what he said to Nathan the prophet, 2 Samuel 12, 13. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. But when he committed the sin of pride, he put an adjective before sin. And he didn't just say, I've sinned before against uh, the Lord. But in 1 Chronicles 21, 8, he said, I've sinned greatly by doing this. I've sinned greatly by doing this, the deadly sin of pride. And if you're taking notes, here's some scribes. doubting that you can uh, register about your enemy, you may never be more vulnerable than when you are full of pride. And some of you are vulnerable right now because you don't know that you're full of pride. Pride creeps up on us, right? It's stealthy and it doesn't arrive all at once. It kind of grows on you. You get better at it. Uzziah was a great man in the Old Testament. He he did something pretty cool, pretty revolutionary. He had this innovative war idea, strategy, and, and because of that, he rose in fame and power, and then his pride took him out. This is what 2 Chronicles 26, 16 says. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Pride can take you out of leadership. Pride can take away your credibility. Pride can hurt your marriage. Pride can hurt your intimacy with God. Pride can hurt you. Pride can hurt your friendships. Pride can ruin all of your relationships. Pride can lose you credibility in sharing your witness. Pride took him down. Pride took him out. Proverbs 16, 18, it says this Pride precedes destruction. An arrogant spirit appears before a fall. Now, how do we see it in lives around us today? How does it manifest itself in us? You know what, I'm so holy. I would never do that. I would never sin that way. I mean, can you believe the way that she carries herself like that? Can you believe how he walks around acting so holy? I would never behave like that. I know God's word and I'm in church every single weekend. We just really need to pray for him. Because I want to tell you what they're doing um, right now. So we're, we're not just relaying concerns, right? It, this is not gossip. Um, these, these are items for prayer. I don't gossip, I'm concerned. I would never do that. I, I've, I'm a self-made person, right? I've earned everything I've got and I've got a lot. I've got a lot and it's because I worked hard and I've earned it. I deserve it. And if they just worked harder, then they wouldn't have those problems. Right? If they just made better decisions like me, they wouldn't be in that situation. It might manifest like this. Well, I know I've probably got a problem, but I can't tell anybody about it. Because I got to keep my reputation up. And, and, And so I may have a problem, but I'm not going to talk about it with anyone else. I might manifest like this. Who are you to tell me what to do? Right? I'm the one doing everything here. It's not my fault anyways. Don't tell me this marriage is my fault. It's your fault. It's not my fault. You don't tell me what my problem is, little missy. Pride, pride, pride. It's toxic to relationships and it's disgusting to God. And we may never be more vulnerable than when we're full of pride. And how does God feel toward the proud? Well, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he tells us, in James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud. And the Greek word translated as opposes, it's a military term. And it means to bring the full force of an army. In other words, if you stand and say, I deserve the glory that God deserves, I deserve the credit that God deserves, God has every bit of power poised against you. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Then in verse 7, submit yourself. It's another Greek word. And this one is translated as submit, um, but it's another military term. And it means to voluntarily rank under. To choose submission to the one that ranks higher. God, I fully submit to you. And this is what it says. Look at it in verse 6 again. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves, rank under voluntarily submit to God, then resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you submit to God, you have the power of God. You have the presence of God and you have the strength of God. After you submit to God, then you can resist the devil. Devil, get away from me. You have no place here. You have no power here. Not today, not in my house, not in my family, not in my finances, not in the people that I love. You resist the devil, and then he will flee from you. Not because you're strong, but because the power of God in you is stronger than the evil one. And when you submit to God, you have the strength of God. You're able to resist the devil. By the power of God. And then the devil will flee from you. Then he says this, verse 8. Come near to God, and God will come near to you. What do you do? You don't elevate yourselves. You humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You humble yourselves before the Lord, and when it comes to God and the evil one, when it comes to heaven and hell, when it comes to light and light, and darkness when it comes to uh, the power of good and and when it comes to the forces of evil. There is no middle ground. You don't kind of love God. You don't sort of follow Jesus. James 4.4 explains it like this. He says, that friendship with this world is hatred toward God. It's choosing to be enemies with God. And that's why we submit. We voluntarily rank under. Your word is our guide, God. Your spirit empowers us. Your will is what we want. God, we submit to you. God, we trust you, even when it doesn't feel like what we want. And then submitted to God, we have the ability to resist the evil one, and he will flee from us. We need to understand that you're never more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. And essentially, we are declaring our independence from God. Like, I I, I don't need you, God. I got this, right? Humility is declaring our complete dependence on God. I need you. Moment by moment, I need you guiding me. I need you directing me. I need your word guiding my steps upon your path. I need your spirit comforting me, convicting me, speaking to me. I need you for my next breath. I need you for my next decision. I need you to help me know how to love this person when I don't know how to love anymore. I need your strength when I am weak. I need you in every single moment. And that is humility. And when we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. There is no middle ground. It's all Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's because of Jesus. Jesus. Because he is everything. Why? Why do you think that God opposes the proud? Why would he bring the full forces of everything he has to oppose those who are proud? It's very likely because all the way back, even before the creation of our world, Lucifer, one that God loved, battled with the root sin of pride. And that ended up taking him down. And if you missed episode one, we talked about the reality that God created, at least we have in scripture, three archangels. There's Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And Lucifer was a beautiful angel worshiping God, like a worship leader. But he became full of pride. He wanted to be like God. And that's why God cast him down. What was his big weakness? He said it again and again and again. I will, I will, I will, my will, I will. In Isaiah 14, five different times he declared his sovereignty and his will. He said, I will ascend to the heavens. Pride. He said, I will raise my throne above the stars. Pride. He said, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. Pride. He said, I will ascend to the top of the clouds. He said, I will make myself like the most high. What was he? Lucifer was all about himself. Jesus was all about the glory of God. Lucifer was all about my will, and Jesus was all about thy will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was was knowing what was ahead, and and that he would have to give his life and suffer more brutally than words can describe, and in agony As drops of blood poured from his brow, he cried out to his father, Daddy! Father! If there's any other way, may this cup of suffering be removed from me. And then in submission to God, I voluntarily rank under. Nevertheless, he said, not my will, but thy will. Not my plan, God, but your plan. It's not about me. I'm here to glorify you. It's not about my importance. It's about your kingdom. It's not about my popularity. It's about your sovereignty. It's not about my wishes. It's about your will. Not my will, but your will be done. And humility is not a weakness. When you are humble, you have the strength of God. You are never, ever weaker than when you're full of pride. And you're never, ever stronger than when you're humble before God. Because when you submit to God, He fills you with His presence. And then you have the power to say, I resist you. Evil one, you have no business here. Get behind me, not in my house, not in my family. It's the power of Christ dwelling within me. We are in an ongoing spiritual battle. So it's not if You're under attack. It's not when you might be attacked. You are under attack. And how do we fight back? Listen, you have the armor of God. You have the helmet of salvation. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have the shield of faith with which you can quench the fiery darts of the evil one. (coughs) You have the belt of truth. And the truth will set you free. You have the shoes prepared with the readiness of the gospel of peace. And you have one offensive weapon. What is it? Do you remember? It's called the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's full of power. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh. In the person of Jesus and dwelt among us. We fight with the word and we fight with the truth. We're going to fight with the word and we fight with the truth. Whenever the devil attacks your our pride, you go, "Hey, you got it going on, right? You probably don't even need anybody's help. You can do this yourself, right? You're pretty important. I mean, look at you. You got the shoes. You got the purse. You got the house. You got the truck. You got the name." Hey, don't let anybody else know that you're hurting, right? Don't let anybody else uh, tell you what to do. I mean, who are they to tell you? It's their problem. It's not your problem. You don't need anybody else. You probably don't even need church, man. You can just do this thing all on your own. You don't need other people. It's all about you. You know what they need to show you some more respect? You're the only one that gets it done around here anyway. When that happens, you draw your sword. And I will fight using Scripture. I don't argue back. I fight with Scripture. I will humble myself before the Lord, and he will lift me up in due time. Because I am called by your name, I will humble myself and pray and seek your face. And heaven will hear my prayers, and you will forgive my sins, and you will clean away all of my unrighteousness. And I will give thanks to you, O oh Lord, For you alone are good. Your mercies endure forever. You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul longs for you in a dry and weary land. I am in earnest pursuit of Jesus. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live because your mercies endure forever. Not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your goodness and because of your faithfulness for all generations. Less of me and more of you. Less of me and more of you because of you, who you are. I voluntarily submit to your lordship. Why? Because you are the King of Kings, because you are the Lord of Lords, because you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the first and the last, the soon returning, conquering King of Kings who comes with a sword coming out of his mouth, declaring your word because you are righteous, because you are true, because mortal man cannot look upon you in your purest essence and live. Because you are my Redeemer. Because you are my Savior. Because you are my friend. Because you are my rock. Because you are my righteousness. Because you sent your Son to do for me what I couldn't do for myself. Because He came to give me life and life more abundantly. And because the devil is a liar, the father of lies. Who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus Christ is greater. He is powerful because greater is He who is in me than he who is in this world. And so I submit to God and I resist the devil. And as I submit and resist, he will flee. We, it's not um, if we will be in a spiritual battle. It, or or when we will be in a spiritual battle. You are in, you are already in a spiritual battle, and we don't have what it takes to win the battle all by ourselves. That's why you're never stronger than when you're humble, when you're broken, when you're dependent on Him. Because when you are weak, that's when He's strong. Be weak today. Be broken today. Be courageous enough to ask for help today. Call on his name. You don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You weren't designed to do it on your own. You were designed to need him and to need his people. And when two or three gather together in his name, there he is in the midst of us. And we gather together today to glorify him because he is our righteousness and he is our redeemer. He is our hope. So, Father, today, we ask that by your power, you would do a work within us. God, that you would strengthen your church as we humble ourselves before you. And we recognize that we are in a battle with pride. We are are still always the center of our dialogue. Jesus wants to be the center of our story. He wants, we want to be humble. I want to be strong because he is strong in me. Is that your prayer today? Can you resonate with that? Father, thank you so much for a church full of people broken and dependent on you. We pray, oh God, that by your power, as we humble ourselves, you would lift us up. God, for those today that are very aware of a battle going on, I pray that they would voluntarily rank under you. God, that they would choose to submit to you. God, give them the strength by the power of Christ to resist the devil because greater is the one who is in us than the one who is in the world. And when they resist the devil, God, we thank you that he will flee. He has no power here. This is not his place. This place belongs to Jesus. God, give them the faith to say no, to say not today, God. In our weakness, would you be strong? Be strong in me, be strong through me to honor you, to bless me, to bless my family, to bless those around me, to bless my community, my town, my place of work, wherever it is that I go. Would you be lifted up in me and through me? Use me, God, I pray. But keep me wise and keep me humble that I might be focused on you with my eyes up on Jesus, learning to listen and to discern the nudges of your spirit. Guide me forward this day, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. May you experience the hope, the peace of Christ, and enjoy the experience of humility. You can choose to humble yourself, or you can experience humiliation. It's just the way it goes. That's the way it works. Pride comes before the fall. Humility is the the path to connection with Jesus. So I want to bless you. That this week, that you have the freedom, the gift of humility. It is yours and it is worth an incredible amount in transformation in your life. And so, with that, be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining with us. Thanks for connecting and using chat or just being part of this. Better when you're here, it's better when we're together. And as we go, I want to again remind you that. uh, You don't just log off, you're being sent. So I want to send you today, and if you can agree with me, if you can say these things, we can remind ourselves of the perspective that we live in, that we live in humility, and so we consciously try to recreate and remind ourselves of this relationship, that we are Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered, and mission-focused. And our mission is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Thanks so much. Absolutely fantastic to have you with us today. So glad that we were able to connect in this way. Hope to see you again soon. See you later.